We've come to Ephesians chapter 3 and the first 13 verses. And I've entitled it The Secret Hidden hidden Through the Ages and Now Revealed. So heads up, it's quite possible that uh, you might not like what I'm going to be saying today. And... Um, and you might not feel it fits in with a Christian life that's cozy and prosperous. And uh, the idea that bad stuff might happen to good Christians might make you cross. And if you feel cross, you're quite welcome to walk out. Okay, so just a heads up. A heads up, it could be. So my goal here is that reading why Paul suffered for the gospel might not dismay us, but give us courage and motivation. So first of all, the story so far... Uh, we began with the epic poem that opens Ephesians. It's one long sentence from verse 3 all the way to verse 14. Uh, it's exquisitely constructed jewel of a sentence. It's poetic in its structure, and it would have been read aloud as a public event. That was the first part. And then we looked at the rest of chapter 1, which is Paul's prayer, and it's for us, for you and me, and he takes the first, the three core parts of the poem at the beginning and turns them into a prayer, um, past, present, and future. And then uh, we looked at the first 12 verses of chapter 2, and I've got a picture for that, which is being joined to Jesus and our future being connected with him and not this world. And I told a story about a, a dramatic sea rescue where people um, were pulled off a ship that was sinking and as they were clipped to the harness of the helicopter, their destiny was tied to the helicopter, not to the sinking ship. And that's the same with us. The essence of salvation, the core, is being joined to Jesus inseparably for eternity. That was part three. And then we looked at identity in Christ. And then um, last time, two weeks ago, I, my title was Christ has broken down the walls. And we saw, and this is going to be um, linked in with today, that Jesus took on himself the hostility which brought down the walls that divided people, particularly the wall between Jew and Gentile. Um, this wall was the law. And Jesus took on himself the hostility in his own body to break down the wall. And this, this meant that we were, as Gentiles, we were from foreigners far away to family near. And how we can feel now as we read the Old Testament that God's compassion and commitment to his people belongs to us because we are now brought in as part of that people. And, and also, the law has condemned us and now the law's power is demolished. So we're not under this, this um, threatening power of the law. And I said that uh, often we have, in fact, just about every, all of us, except the psychopaths, have an inner judge which criticizes us and tells us, you know, you're not good enough, you should do this, and constantly condemning us. And we can say, look, I am, Christ has taken that all on him, and I am free in Christ. And so that was, um, that was last time. So this time, um, my title, The Secret Hidden Through the, The Secret Hidden Through the Ages and Now Revealed. And we're going to start by looking at the flow of reasoning in this passage that you have in front of you. And then we're going to look a close look at the text. And then we're going to look at our response today. So 
First of all, the flow of reasoning. So I'm going to give you an overview now. So this is the flow. So we begin at the top with Paul, the prisoner of Christ. He introduces it, and you can see on your sheets the first verse. For this reason, I, Paul, am the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. That's his introduction. Um, I'm a prisoner on your behalf. And the end, the last verse says something similar, referring to his suffering. So then I implore you not to lose heart over my suffering on your behalf, for they are your glory. So, so you can see the bracket then, the beginning and the end, is this Paul's concern about how his being in prison might cause them to be upset. And so what goes on in the middle is the important part where he deals with this problem. And he starts, and this is in the box at the first half of your page, uh, the task that was given to him. And four steps. First, grace was given to me for you. That's the first step. God gave him this grace, this wonderful gift for them. And the second thing is the mystery and he says, this is a mystery. And I want to say, before we go any further, the word mystery is nothing to do with murder mysteries we have today or, you know, that kind of mystery books. The word mystery, as it's used here in the New Testament, the Greek word is mysterion. The, the word see means something that was hidden but is now revealed. It was hidden before, but now it has been revealed. So he says, there was, it's been revealed to me, and I have already given a summary to you. And that's the summary was in chapter 2. And um, the, the idea about Jews and Gentiles and the wall being broken down and so on. So this is, this is, was given to them. Then the third step, he says, is it was once hidden, but now it's been revealed through the apostles to the world. And he culminates by explaining the mystery very shortly. Gentiles and Jews united in Jesus. That's what it is. So this is, his, um, this is the task that was given to him. Four steps. Grace was given to him. Um, the mystery he's passed on to them. He says it was once hidden, but it's now revealed through the apostles to the world. And the core of the mystery is Gentiles and Jews united in Jesus. Then he repeats it with a slightly different slant. And this is going to be crucial as we go through the text. Grace was given to me. It starts off with an almost identical expression. Then he says the mystery, not just to you. The first time the mystery is for you. Now he says the mystery is for the Gentiles and for everyone. And now he says it was once hidden, but now revealed. It's not just through the apostles to the world, but it's revealed through the church to the universe. And we'll look at that in a minute. And he just defines the mystery as bigger now. It's God's ultimate wise purposes in Jesus. It's the gospel. It's everything. So the second uh, time through, everything is expanded and it's like on a higher level. So I'm giving you that as an overview of the flow so that when we go through it, you will see the um, what's going on there. <clears throat> now, now I'm going to come on to the bit that could be upsetting to you. And nobody's walked out yet, which is a good sign. So um, what, what it is, is the idea, um, why should Paul have to say to them, 
Uh, please don't lose heart. What is it that could be so upsetting about this message? What could make them lose heart? Um, and he is, he wants to encourage them instead of them losing heart. He puts a lot of effort into encouraging and motivating them. And we're going to look at that because I want to end up today with you being really encouraged and really motivated because that's what Paul wants to do here. So what's the problem? Well, it's interesting that this is Ephesians. Colossians was written by Paul uh, to a different church, but it's got a lot of very close similarities with Ephesians. A lot of things are parallel between Colossians and Ephesians. And this little bit has got some similar verses. And so I'm going to show you this bit in Colossians because it makes it very much more explicit. Um, let me just move on to, there we go. Okay, Colossians. Uh, actually, now before we do that, I want to read the middle bits. Yes, this is, this is the previous, this is last time's one. Um, this is uh, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to just read this bit in verse 14. This is from the previous chapter. For he himself is our peace, making the two one and breaking down the dividing partition, the hostility in his flesh, cancelling the law of regulations that the two he might create in himself into one new human, making peace. So what it says is that He's taken on the hostility in his flesh. He himself, by dying, has taken on this. Now, Paul has given his life to joining together Jews and Gentiles. Does that cause Paul any hostility on himself? Yes, it is the number. That's the reason he's in prison, because the Jews are so upset about what he's doing with the Gentiles. They, they, um, try and kill him. The Romans rescue him, and he's, oh, he's taken eventually. He's taken to Rome, and eventually he dies a master. And this is all because he is actually trying to unite Jew and Gentile. And this is going to lead us to a very interesting verse, which, um, can be seen as a bit problematic, but I'm going to explain it back in the parallel passage in Colossians. And here it goes. The gospel which you heard, which was proclaimed to all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a servant. Now I rejoice in suffering for the sake of you, and I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction in my own flesh for the sake of his body, which is the church. Hang on a minute, Paul. What are you saying? You're saying that Jesus' death wasn't enough, and and you had to do a bit extra to make up for it? It, um, this is a very, very startling verse to read, but it's there. In your, look up, look in your Bibles. It's there. One, uh, Colossians um, chapter 1 and verse 24. What does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean that there was anything lacking in Jesus' death for the payment of sin. What he meant was that um, Jesus didn't wanted to leave some of the work for us. Not for paying for sin, but for bringing in the nations to himself. I mean, he could have died on the cross and then automatically made everybody become Christians and there would be no need to proclaim the gospel or anything like that. But he actually wanted to give us the task of carrying forth the gospel and of, of doing some of this work. And, and that would involve some hardship on our part. And so for the whole picture 
of salvation, we actually have some suffering. At least Paul had some suffering to do to bring this in. And what's interesting, he he pitches this in the same kind of way as he does in terms of the way he's describing Jesus. Um, He is carrying in himself this in his own body. In other words, he's in prison. uh, The the, the cost of spreading the gospel. If he hadn't spread the gospel, he wouldn't be in prison. He's carrying some of that cost on himself. So, um, uh, what does that mean? So, how does that help us? He is concerned that when the Ephesians who are reading this realize this message, they're going to say, oh no, we're poor. we don't want any part of this. This doesn't sound like good news. We thought becoming a Christian was all sweetness and light and bubbliness. And you're like, you're in prison? Uh, uh, what's happening here? And so he's concerned that they may be dismayed by that. And so this is what I was talking about when I opened up the sermon today because some branches of Christianity would be very much against this. They would just say, oh no, become a Christian, everything is prosperity. That is not the teaching of the New Testament. So uh, let's just read a few more verses here in this passage. Um, He says, of which I became a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to fully make known the work of God. This is identical wording to our passage we're about to read. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to whom God chose to make known the greatness of his riches, of his, the greatness of the riches of the glory of this mystery displayed among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then the last bit I want to quote. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may present everyone complete in Christ. To this end, I also labor, struggling according to his working, which works in me in power. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have. So do you get the picture that this is a parallel? And when we put the two together, it can really help us um, understand what he's saying here. So this then is the uh, parallel passage and uh, that speaks into these verses. Also, later on in the book of Ephesians, there are some things, we're not going to look at them now, but they kind of speak back into this that is being said in this. So, that was my first point. Um, my first point was this, um, the flow of reasoning in this passage and this key problem that he's dealing with. Now I want to look a closer look at the text and we're going to be reading through it and we're going to end up by looking at our response. So let's go through this, shall we, verse by verse. And uh, we're going to um, start off with the opening verse. For this reason I, Paul... And the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And now we come into this first box, which is his first time through, focusing on his gift to them. Verse 2. Now you've heard of the plan of God's grace that was given to me for you. And I've color-coded it. Um, the me's are all in, in light blue. 
the, uh, the, who it's given to is in yellow, and the grace is green, and um, uh, insights, um, revelation um, is in purple. So uh, that's, but you needn't worry about, like, it's really the colors are there just to see us how, how we match up the flow and how you, the colors in the first half fit in with the colors in the second half, the same sequence of colors. Anyway, um, so that's the first statement. This is the plan of God's grace given to me for you. To me, Paul, for you. And uh, what this plan is, it's the revelation of the mystery made known to me, just as I've briefly written above. In other words, chapter 2, what we read last time, that's like a brief description by which you've been able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And you can see verses 3 and 4, the way it's shaped there is um, uh, what I've talked about previously. It's a, it's, um, a structure in Greek where you have statement, statement two, repetition of statement two, and then going back to statement one. The technical name is a chiasm. It's A-B-B-A, and that's very common in Hebrew poetry and ancient poetry. And he's just doing that as like a little gem of ornamentation in the text. And so this is the mystery. Um, He's summarized. He's given it to them. And then uh, verse five, there's the then and now bit. In other generations was not made known to humanity. Now it's made been, been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So not just Paul, but to all of them. And so that's the then and now bit. And then the last point is a summary of the actual mystery. And this is that the Gentiles are heirs together and sharers together of a body and sharers together of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, you see the words in black. Those actually are single words that Paul has constructed in the Greek. Some of them he's, at, he's made up in the Greek. Because in Greek, if you put sun in front of something, you, you mean it's together, it's joined together. So if I said um, eating, if I said sun eating, that would be eating together. So you can put sun. And basically, he's done this with all three. He's taken the word heirs, and he's made it heirs together. And he's taken the word body and he's used like, it's like, it's all actually one word. It's translated as five here, but it's actually like embodied together. Saying we're embodied together and then we're promised together. And those are three words. And he's done it like that because they're like, like three sparkling jewels of what we have as Christians. Like we've got this united promise, a united sharing together and um, a united destiny and he's using he's put these words together as a kind of magical beautiful way of picturing the mystery that we have this unity that's so beautiful so those are the four steps what was given to me the mystery the then and now and then the summary of the mystery now let's look at how he does this the second time through he starts with the same thing Sort of thing. I'm going to show it so we can see them both. Um, I which I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me for you. And that's, sorry, just given to me. That's almost identical wording in the Greek to verse 2. According to the working of his power. Now here he doesn't have to you, for you. That's the only difference. Because now it's going to be widened. And now he says, 
To me, the very least of all the holy ones, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, in other words, not just to them, but to all the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to enlighten everyone as to what is the plan of the mystery. So now the, the target has been widened. And now we have the then and now, hidden through the ages in God who created all things, but now this is completely new, so as to make known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places through the church. What on earth is that? Well, rulers and authorities in that culture meant demons. It meant levels of demon. And the heavenly places, don't think of like heaven where God is. Think of like spiritual realms, like the, the unseen realm. The unseen realm where these, these uh, demonic powers are trying to control humanity, um, the church gets to proclaim this mystery to them. And I'll come on to how, what, exactly what this, because this is so exciting. Um, and uh, that, that is what's happening. And then he summarizes the mystery slightly differently. It's broader this time. He summarizes the mystery. Rather than what he said in verse 6, he says in verse 11, the manifold wisdom of God, and that word um, is kind of multicolored, many-faceted um, wisdom of God, according to the purpose of the ages which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Actually, I brought something to illustrate this. I have this glass um, like jewel. So you can look at this afterwards if you like. It's it's a glass ball, but it's every side is cut, and so it it it's like um, multicolored in the in the light, like lots of prisms. It's absolutely beautiful. I have it on my desk, and this this is like multifaceted, beautiful prism, like with rainbow colors. And this is the kind of thing he's talking about. This is the wisdom of God. This is like the, the great plan of God. According to the purpose of the ages, like he's been, God has been planning this forever and now it's coming to being and it's accomplished in Jesus Christ in whom we have boldness and access. Like We can go into God's presence through faith in him. And that's a summary, if you like, of the gospel through faith in him. And so once again, the mystery is in Jesus Christ as the first time round. So that then is the, is the second time through. And now I'm going to look at uh, the last verse there. So then I implore you not to lose heart over my suffering on your behalf, for they are your glory. All right. So that then is an, a fl- the flow of the passage. And that's just going through and looking at the, the things that are in there. So just to give you an overview then of what I've been doing now, and where we're up to, um, what we've what we've done is uh, this is the secret: is that God was planning an extraordinary level of unity in humanity. On top of that is a unity between Jesus and us, and we get to demonstrate this to the powers of darkness. They have failed. So let me summarize this. Let me explain what I mean by these things. God's goal, this mystery, this secret that is now revealed, is that 
his goal is that instead of people who are fighting all the time and like wars and 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 uh, um, disunity, which the, the evil powers love, Satan's force wants to set people against people. God's plan is a level of unity which is just extraordinary. And as I said two weeks ago, this hasn't happened yet. This is something we're going to see in Ephesians. God is working towards this. But this is the ultimate defeat of the enemy. That when there's unity in humanity, when there's unity, he's lost, the, the enemy have lost their power. Like They want to create disunity. They are defeated when there's unity. And what he's saying here is that this unity, not between just between us, but between us and Jesus, is, is something that will destroy all of their power. And we get to demonstrate this to the powers of darkness. They failed. And so when you are breaking down a wall, when you are making peace, when you're forgiving someone, when you're creating unity, you are doing something in the spiritual realm as well as just something nice here, you are actually doing something of ultimate value. And this is what why Paul is, is dealing with this right now. He's going to be talking the rest of his letter about how we do this, but he wants to put this into cosmic perspective. He wants you to get that this isn't about just having a, a nicer life with less fighting between people. This is something eternal. This is extraordinary. This is the destiny of God's creation unity and you get to participate in that and so later on in ephesians he's going to show how this can work out in the home in the family in the workplace in 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 the church how does this work out because this is the direction this is so exciting that we can actually be part of this and uh, so um that that's uh, that's my overview then of where he's going with this and uh, I'm going to try and put this together now in terms of what, how this can work for us. Uh, we've looked at the flow, we've looked at a close look at the text, and now our response today, what can we do? Well, I started with this goal um, that reading why Paul suffered for the gospel might not dismay us, but, but give us courage and motivation. And this is what Paul is trying to do here. And I'm going to try and show you where he's doing this. So if we look at the passage itself that um, that you have in front of you, uh, let's just look at some places. Here he says, um, the unfathomable riches of Christ, like he's talking about what we have in him. Um, Let's get get that. There we go. Uh, The unfathomable riches of Christ. Um, What we have in Christ is just beyond any measure. Of, of, um, of value and he wants us to get excited by that and not only that we get to make it known we get to actually spread this um, because it's it's spread out through the church and we get to spread this message um, he says the in the end the end don't lose heart over this because this is um, this this is your glory what does this mean? Well, I think that this is um, this is the most shining, wonderful, extraordinary thing that you and I can do, that we can actually carry forward this. And I was thinking, actually, as I as I um, uh, 
was about to be preaching this. And God often gives me like a personal word as a, for myself as I'm preparing the sermon. And he said, this is what I felt God saying. I want to encourage you, Andrew, because I've given you this message for New Life Church. So you're actually part of this process of carrying out the message and making the hidden stuff revealed. And so I'm actually doing this. I'm actually excited to realize I'm part of what God is doing. Because if I can pass it on to you, you can then build this unity and show this glory in the heavenly places. So um, this is a glorious thing to do. Um, and I want to say that um, Paul also talks about when he says, don't lose heart. There is a joy in suffering. Now, I don't think... There's not that many, there's not a high percentage of Christians who've actually had to be martyrs. I'm not telling you that all of you are going to die for your faith, okay? I mean, it's possible, but I know, like, you know, maybe like less than 1% of Christians, much less than that, have had to be martyrs. Um, uh, and so even physical suffering is not that many have had to suffer physically, but all of us, if we are if we're following Jesus, there's some level of suffering. You know, we may get people annoyed with us or, you know, or we, you know, we may lose our job because we can't ethically do that particular work. There's a level of suffering. But what we see, uh, I've read a lot of stories of, uh, of biographies of Christians through the ages, and it's amazing how there's a kind of joy that comes with suffering. And Christians that are are suffering a lot, almost always have this supernatural joy. One of my favorite writers is a man called Samuel Rutherford, who was a pastor, and the church was being persecuted, and he was put in solitary confinement um, for, for, for leading this church. And in prison, he wrote to people, and we have his letters, and he was able to write. And he had an indescribable joy that God just poured on him constantly. And he'd write about this joy. He's like, I woke up this morning, I like... There was just joy flooding through my room. And, and this is not uncommon in Christians who have to suffer, whether it's martyrdom or imprisonment. There's a kind of level of joy. And I could read you lots of stories. I read one not that long ago about somebody in Russia. He was in prison for his faith. And like there was a glow about him that every night he just had this encounter with God. And so this isn't something to be feared. Suffering is not something to be feared because it virtually always comes with joy in that kind of way. But um, even without the suffering, there is an indescribable joy that we can can get through following Jesus. And the rest of the book of Ephesians is about how can we do this. And what we're going to see is um, part of the joy is living in victory. You know, if you're seeing... um, bad stuff being broken down, you're seeing victory in your life, you're seeing victory in other people's lives, then that is something which it brings you joy. And so when we come to later parts of Ephesians, we'll see the putting on the armor of God. Why do you need to put on the armor of God if there's not a fight? Do you get the picture? So the whole of the rest of Ephesians is in the context of this battle. Very important that we get this chapter because he's setting out the ground for the stakes are so high. You're getting to do something that is so amazing and here are the tools you need to do it. And there's victory. 
So in the armor of God story, which we'll come to later on in our series, that's not a picture of armor of defeat. That's victory, isn't it? And so what Paul is trying to motivate them here is like, this is a battle. No, I'm in prison, but there is an incredible victory and you're going to have so much joy over this. So I want to pull this together then. And I want to say to you, I hope that you are encouraged by this text and not discouraged. I, I, my goal today is to give you, to capture you with excitement that you are part of what's, what's being talked about here in verse 10, that these authorities in the heavenly realms are being smashed down by what you can do in building unity. And uh, let's, um, let's just um, bring this together. You are on the winning side. You have the unfathomable riches of Christ. You have the honor of being part of the plan. You get to smash the forces of darkness by showing love and unity. You have in whom we have boldness and access with confidence to the king of kings. Is that encouraging? Does that give you encouragement this morning? Please, somebody say yes. <laughs> okay. So, so, um, and I, this is my, my summing up, which I'm going to leave you with. The secret is that God, this is the mystery, the secret is that God was planning an extraordinary level of unity in humanity. On top of that is a unity between Jesus and us. We get to demonstrate this to the powers of darkness. They have failed. So should we work towards unity? Yes, amen, because this is such an important, this is, this is the, the glory that we can work through the power of Jesus. So let's pray, shall we? We thank you, gracious Lord, for the calling you have given us that that you have actually called us into being part of this work. We have the honor of joining you in spreading this good news of peace to this world. Lord, give us your strength, give us your power, give us motivation and encouragement to, to work this out in our own lives and the lives of those around us. Lord, we, we ask you for this in the name of Jesus, who has won the victory. Amen.